0: Hello and welcome to episode four of On the Ball with Luke and Tony. I'm Luke Wickheiser with my good friend Tony Snyder. And tonight we got a special guest of ours, Mr. Michael Reiner. Michael, how you doing, buddy?
1: Fantastic, Luke. Getting ready to be on the ball with these two guys. Thanks for letting me come on the podcast, and we got a lot to come.
0: Oh, absolutely, dude. I'm excited. Let's get let's get to work here. Um, first things first, we want to talk about um, Coach K, Mike Shashevsky. He's set to retire after the 2021 season from Duke he's been there since 1980. Man, he's been there. He'll be there. It'll be his 41st season he'll complete this year. He's won five national titles. He's got over, what was it, 11, 1,170 wins and counting. Uh, He's a 2006 College Basketball Hall of Fame inductee, a three-time gold medalist head coach of Team USA for one in 2008, 2012, and 2016. And and I don't know what you guys think, but for me, and I'm not a, a huge college basketball fan, but when I think of uh, college basketball, I either think of Bobby Knight or Coach K. What do you guys think? What's your opinion of him?
2: Yeah, I think that uh, he is definitely iconic. I also think that he's one of the more polarizing figures in the game. Right. that You are either a, a Duke fan or you're not a Duke fan. And and often it um, comes down for me, because I'm not a Duke fan, to I will root for anyone that's playing Duke. But, uh, <laughs> I hear you. But I will say that um, uh, they have set the standard for, um, it's certainly an aspirational program for a lot of teams and uh, they're always in the conversation, I think overly much sometimes, but um, I hesitate to say this, but I will. I think that college basketball um, is better when Duke is good. I would like to see in the next few years, when Duke is not as good, whether college basketball has some teams to fill in that vacuum, because it seems to me, over the last few years, um, Duke has not been as dominant, then they will slip a little bit in the rankings, they'll be 11-15, sometimes even lower than that, and then they'll lose some more, and you're like, why are they still ranked? It's (laughs) pretty much a name recognition thing, and that's very common so it's not a surprise, but um, be, the most interesting thing for me is that John Shire is 33 years old. Wow. And he will be um, succeeding Coach K. It'll be very interesting to see how that goes, so um, big-time uh, transition for college basketball. I, I,
1: was, I was
0: just going to say, those are some Bigfoot size shoes. <laughs> Absolutely, no question. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't follow college basketball as much as you, Tony, but it kind of reminds me and to shift gears ever so slightly, and I'm not going to stay on it too long. What you're talking about, Duke and their reputation, which has been very well earned—absolutely, no question about it. For the yeah. most part, well reserved. You know, that kind of reminds me. That reminds me of Notre Dame in football. Yes, yeah, they're always they're always ranked really high because yeah. of their reputation and their fan base. Although Duke has earned the reputation, I would argue that Notre Dame hasn't. Well, and I been.
2: think that that um, I. You can jump in here, Luke, because you are a, a fan of theirs, at least at times. Um, times. They yeah. had built that reputation over probably 40, 50 years, and then right the fan base still expects that sort of mm-hmm. success, right. and it's not always forthcoming. Right. Um,
0: but, uh, but yeah, shifting back to Coach K, though, it just. I don't know what kind of state Duke was in when he first got here, but I can guarantee you it probably wasn't as as high as what it is now. He just he built a powerhouse. I don't know you how can, you can definitely say that. There's no. My my goodness, and you know, the, I, I would say my my biggest uh, exposure to Duke basketball um, was uh, what's the one shoot? There's a thirty. It was a thirty. I, a 30 I 30. hate Christian I, Yeah, I was just gonna say I hate Leitner. I hate Christian or Whatever it was. And uh, my my friend, uh, Andy Jardy, shout out to Andy, if he's listening, he is a mega uh, Duke fan. And as such, uh, the one he hated was what's his name? Uh, Tyler Hansborough from UNC. That would do it. Yep. And uh, you know, and then I was just like, I actually, I mean, because I'm not a Duke fan, I didn't have much of an opinion uh, for or against Duke. I just don't mind either way. Um, (laughs) But when I saw the 30 for 30, it's one of those things where most of the time I don't like cocky athletes. Right. Like if you can back it up, go ahead. Right. That I don't mind. But if you're just running your mouth and you get your butt kicked or whatever, right. I, I don't like you. Whereas Leitner is kind of funny. Uh, you got all these hardworking college kids from other schools and, you know, a lot of them probably would be good American feel good stories where you got Leitner who went to this nice school. He's the blonde, good looking, rich guy. Yeah. The women are all over him. And he hits all these game-winning shots and people just hate him. And he's like, instead of backing off, he goes, screw you. I'm going to play harder.
2: Yeah, well, it it was very much (laughs) like um, we talk about locker room material in other sports. Fan bases knew that Christian Leighton was going to respond well. Right. And they still did it. You don't need to give (laughs) an almost generational talent like that. Any additional locker room material – And I I gather that there's um, some evidence that I used to be a Duke fan when I was about eight, which would have been 1990. I had a shirt at one point, and Mm -hmm. then the the shot that he made to beat Kentucky in the final was the reason why I could never root for Duke again, (laughs) or men's basketball at least. Um, And then I became a UNC fan by default.
0: You know, Tony, I got a nickname for you, and I mean this in the most affectionate way possible. You have become the sports mercenary, dude. You you got like so many <laughs> so many fan bases you root for. Or yeah. Root for so, just call you the sports mercenary. <laughs> well, and then
2: uh, my friend Steve, um, one of the first times we hung out, and he was like, "Oh, my my friends would call you a sports polygamist." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, oh, okay,"
1: uh, and yeah, I have also.
2: I have a story for every team that I have oh. and, and, and those that I very much dislike. So
0: yeah, folks, he's got, okay. <laughs> if I, if I could, if I could show you every team he hates, I could unroll a scroll that would be from here to my <laughs> from my window here where I'm sitting all the way out to my kitchen. So yeah. I would be interested to see all the teams Tony hates, but he usually <laughs> has good reason for it. He's not just a hater to be a hater. Yeah. We could do an entire episode. Yeah.
1: We, could, yeah, we could just have him just going off. We could just have him, team number 56,582, that I don't like. Eight and one.
0: Yeah, well, we ought to reserve that for an end of the season special. Yeah, yeah put um, it at the end as, as a bonus episode. I put it at the end as a bonus episode, unrated. Viewer <laughs> discretion is advised. <laughs> Listener description is right. Yes, right. Yeah. So, but but no, um, but no. Isn't it just amazing how though that, uh, in spite of all the stuff that Leitner went through and and, uh, being hated, it just it never seemed to derail him. You know? No, no. Just, and
2: and it really spoke to I think the growing appeal of college basketball, the sport that people you know appointment viewing because. Right. Uh, after 1979, when it was Magic versus Bird, Michigan State, and Indiana, Indiana. State, yep. um, then you started to see more college basketball live right. on broadcast or cable TV, not so much tape delay as it used to be. Right, so, right. Um, right. So, but Duke, had, no. Duke and Coach K had a lot to do with that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And like you said, I think, you know, magic and Larry kind of kicked it off and then, and then Duke and them Duke and Krzyzewski just took it from there. So, but, uh, to shift gears, we can go to NFL football guys. This has been the longest way to my freaking life. I <laughs> don't let him fool you. Everyone. He
2: used oh to say this when we were bad as well, when the Browns were terrible. I uh,
1: know But Luke's I mean- a pretty uh, loyal Brownie. If we do say so ourselves, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Luke, uh, it's a top-notch Browns fan?
0: Oh, man. So, um, but, well, I'm, I try to be as loyal of a fan as I can, but I will say I did not put myself through the hell that was 2017. Oh. Uh, quick, 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 quick Brown story before we go into brighter times that we're in now. I remember clearest day. Uh, I think it was December. I, mean, I can remember the date, December 23rd, 2017. It was a game just before Christmas between Green Bay and Cleveland. Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, you know, everyone's saying Super Bowl when they should have been at the time. And I wasn't watching it. I just resigned myself to not watching it. I'm like, I am not putting myself through this. This is garbage. It's been junk all year. I'm not doing it. <laughs> at the time, I had a girlfriend. I wanted to be happy with her. I was like, I am not doing this. Right. And so I'm sitting in the back in my room ordering Christmas gifts for her and her family. At the <sighs> and I think we go up by, I think it was what, 21 nothing at one point. Yeah. And my dad, he's going nuts. He's been a Browns fan since the Cardiac Kids days. And he's like, he's like, he's like, Luke, we're doing it. I'm like, dad, it's the first quarter. Don't do this to yourself, please.
1: (laughs) And
0: and as things just kept going downhill, I could just tell he started losing it. And the funniest part for fans listening, if you can imagine the scenario, I'm in my room just focusing on other stuff. And we blow, the, we blow the win or blow the lead, blow the win. I think we lost it. And he comes back and he goes, damn it, we lost I said, see, I told you. <laughs> number one, you got Hugh Jackson for the coach. I said, number two, this team's just bad. I said, I love the Browns, but I'm not putting myself through that.
2: Right.
0: You know, so, but uh, going forward to that, isn't it amazing? Here we are. That was 2017. Now here we are in 2021, where we are now. Oh, my God.
2: It really is quite a shift.
0: Jeez. Yep. You know, now I'm uh, just going to say, now we just got to see if they can sustain it because it is entirely possible to go from, um, well, 12 and six technically was our record to six and 10, like we did in 2019. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to sit there and say the Browns are a for the playoffs. I mean, I think they have a good chance to win the division and should make the playoffs, but there's no guarantees. So, right. but one of the, one of the issues I wanted to kind of go over on paper is the fact that uh Browns cornerback, Greedy Williams, he, he was a highly touted rookie coming out of LSU, and he's very, very talented, but he has, for whatever reason, not been able to stay healthy. I think he's had, I think, stingers in his shoulders, like nerves or something, and he just cannot stay healthy, but uh, I think the Browns are currently carrying 17 defensive backs I think on the roster right now. I think it's nine safeties and eight corners. And I think then there's a ninety man roster right now and they gotta cut it down to fifty three by the end of the preseason. Uh so if Greedy Williams doesn't show up or stay healthy this year, do you think he should stay or go? What do you guys think?
1: Um, I think that he could stay. Is he still on his rookie contract? I'm not sure. As long as that player is on a minimum uh contract, you guys should be okay. Uh and if you could sign him for less money, great, but my guess is he'll find greener pastures if he needs a new contract. I don't know.
0: Right, right. I, me, me personally, I think I think he's young, and I think if he could stay healthy, he, he is very talented. I saw a lot of his highlight film uh, with LSU, and when we got him, I think it was, what, 46 overall at the time. I just was like, oh, my God, this kid's a freak, you know, and he's excited and saying we're going to go Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, people think that's cocky, but I like the fact he was confident, but then when he couldn't stay on the field, I'm just like, what the heck
2: dude right yep. you know right.
0: but i don't entirely blame him because i don't know what's going on in practice i don't know what his body's like maybe his body's just sensitive to like nerve stingers that he's had and um but no i think personally i would give him one more year after this one and okay. not, not this one it, this one is whatever is. the next one if he's struggling to stay healthy i would almost look to shipping that's me personally. seems
2: reasonable to me
0: so uh, I would want I want to see him succeed, but it's like, come on, dude. Uh, there's a reason the NFL is called the not for long league. So, um, yeah. But at least that's what I've heard it nicknamed sometimes. So, but uh, shifting to one of his defensive teammates, I got a funny tweet I saw a little while ago, guys. It was <laughs> Miles Garrett was quote unquote forced to retire from basketball after a tweet surfaced of him playing a pickup game somewhere and just posterizing some poor dude, Slam Dunking on him. I guess Kevin Stefanski um, talked to Miles in private and was like, "Hey, you've got a hundred million in guaranteed money on this contract. We cannot have you getting hurt." Right. You know, I'm I'm not sure exactly what he said, but I think they asked Stefanski what he said to Miles, and he just kind of grinned and was like, "No comment. We're in
1: house." So.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but no, it's just amazing though. For the most part, Miles has been pretty durable, minus the whole COVID thing. He's been he's been pretty reliable. Yeah. So I think that's one of the few home run picks we've had in the last few years, but uh, shifting gears to the Pittsburgh Steelers, we're going to let our buddy Michael take over with this one, but I was listening to, I forget what the station was, but I was listening to a Pittsburgh Steelers. It was, yeah, it was a podcast probably about 20 minutes long. And the guy that was talking about the Steelers said the Steelers are going to be so much better with Matt Canada over Randy Feekner. I'd heard personally from this and from other sources that Fiekner, his main weakness was that he was too predictable. Um, how do you think Fiekner or how do you think Canada's going to be better than Fechner? Michael, what's your take on this? Cause I I'm in the dark.
1: Well, I believe that Matt Canada was the special teams coach. And then he then was the quarterback's coach and he's worked his way up. He's been that system for a long time guys. But I think the big thing for Matt Canada this year, the big challenge is figuring out ways for Najee Harris to get involved. This is the team that finished last in the league around last in the league the past few years uh, running the football. This is a team that needs to get back to innovative packages at running the football, but at the same time, they still need to keep Big Ben hot. They still need to let Big Ben throw the ball, and I believe that as long as Matt can, it gets Najee Harris involved, it'll be a good rookie season for the running back out of Alabama, and we'll see where it goes.
0: Right, right, and I just was gonna say, and I'm I'm gonna admit this: when the Steelers draft a great player, uh, I think my my buddy Dave Smith and his brother uh, Scott Smith, we both were at the draft in Cleveland a while ago, and uh, the one that Scott, his older brother, Dave's older brother, said they had to have was Najee Harris. And as soon as they got Najee, Dave went nuts. That was a home run pick for you guys, but um the one thing is though Pittsburgh I don't know if they have a good offensive line I mean they could have a good one but it's incredibly inexperienced I think I think the uh the new linemen they have and I don't remember the names maybe you can name them for me um I did see they have like a grand total of like no more than 20 stars between them so they're very very green and very very raw um but who knows how good they can be so
1: Um, well and it'll be interesting because as we saw a couple of years ago with the Browns team that didn't make the playoffs at 6-10, and 10. the reason why they didn't make the playoffs that year was far and away because they did not have an offensive line. Mm-hmm. You put an offensive line to protect Baker Mayfield, to protect Nick Chubb, and you also signed Kareem Hunt and all those boys. And man, oh, man, the combination of the cap space and the line drafting is what made the Browns the way they were. And I don't know about the Steelers this year. It's going to be a tough order. It's going to be a tall order. Uh, One of the most difficult schedules in the entire league. Uh, But I think, like you said, good point, Luke. The offensive line has to execute. And if they don't do that, I see an 8-8 season for the Steelers, even though their defense is still going to be lights out with T.J. Watt. I just, if this line doesn't show up, I see it as 8-8. or eight and nine in this case. <laughs> so uh, or eight and nine, yes. Yeah, eight and nine.
0: yeah, I just was going to say, I think, uh, and I'm not putting Pittsburgh down because Pittsburgh has been a class of the division for years. I mean, I, I rag on the Steelers because I'm a Browns fan, but they are a first-class organization as far as how they run things. Um, but I think, you know, for the division, I think the top two teams, and you could go back and forth either way, are going to be Cleveland and Baltimore, which I never thought I'd say the Browns would be in the run for the right. division. But – uh, like you were saying with the offensive line play, I think that's what it comes down to for the Browns. And I'm just going to say it: I, I think Cleveland, or Cleveland, or us Browns fans that have become uh, incredibly spoiled by you know by a great running game. Because beforehand, Tony, do you remember the the slingers back in 2012, 2013? We were literally averaging 13 points a game for a season. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And whenever we heard Browns touchdown, we'd go crazy. Yeah, I mean, screw winning eleven games, dude. When we won a game, yeah, uh, we won. Large
2: big. news. Large. Say, say what, Tony? It was,
0: it was big news. Absolutely yeah, big news. And, and and so now with a great offensive line that we've got, and um, you know, a great running game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I think we're almost spoiled. We expect those holes to open up. We expect right. our guys to be bulldozers and run people over, and for the most part, they have been. But uh, that all comes down to a great offensive line, and the one thing I disagree with the author, or the guy that was talking on the uh, Steelers podcast was he talked about how the um, the zone blocking scheme was the reason the Browns were successful. I go, oh no, sir! I said, no. I'm thinking, no. This is from personnel. I mean, yeah, you gotta have the right scheme, but when you got guys like we have on the offensive line that are no worse than I think top five in the in the league you know, it's really going to show up. And I think Pittsburgh will eventually get there. And that's when it's going to be interesting is when they get to that point where the Browns are offensive line wise. Man. So, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm excited to see if Pittsburgh and Cleveland are both decent this year or good teams. Cause when is the last time before this season that, you know, the division or the division or anything like that has been on the line? I mean, before, um, before this last season, I don't remember the last time the Browns and Steelers were good at the same time.
1: When I also think about this, Cincinnati isn't too far out of the woods. I mean, they could get back in. It.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Absolutely. Here with
1: Joe Burrow, I mean, they're well on their way. So,
2: yeah, it, yeah. Could
1: four, it could be a four-team race here in about a year or two. Yeah. So, you know, and I
0: will say this, and I love Baker Mayfield because he's my quarterback, but if we're, if we're talking most talented quarterback in the division, I'd say that's Joe Burrow. Uh, if you're talking pure talented between him or Lamar, I mean. I
2: was going to say, you better put Lamar in there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no disrespect to Lamar, even though I hate losing to him. He's as slippery as a bar of soap. But, um, but going back to the offensive line, that, that it just seems like that's what's going to power these teams. And you know, right. to make a, to make a bit of a, a, a joke here, but it's also kind of serious. An offensive line, a good offensive line, is like an electrician or repair guy. When they're doing their job, you don't see them. Right. That's why right. that's that's why they're unsung heroes. I mean, when you get called out as an offensive lineman everybody sees you but when you're all doing your job in tandem and working together and kicking everybody's butt nobody calls you out it's just one big wall of guys you don't really know who's doing what right <laughs> nice. so um but no dude i'm i just can't wait for what was it september 13th is the first game for us at least for the browns <laughs> you, oh, gotta,
2: like, uh, you gotta like you gotta modulate a little bit I, here you got i some, can't handle this man I need some time
0: to go <laughs> I'm going to need, okay, before long, I'm going to need a rabies shot, a flea collar, and some milk bones. There just, you know. go.
1: <laughs>
0: say what, Michael?
1: I just said wolf woof. <laughs> it's no, no more, no more. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> what would you be- say? I wouldn't make that noise again.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry, folks. <laughs> But, uh, but no, I, I'm just excited. But shifting gears, we'll let Tony take the lead on this next one. Uh, Tony, the Indians, for for how little they have as far as money and other things like that, uh, it just seems like Tito just keeps these guys going. Why don't you give us a, a, a glimpse on where the Indians are right now? Well,
2: as usual, when it comes to this segment of the podcast, it's like, well, this team is really fun to watch and don't really know how good they are. Um, we are above 500, and sometimes we look, Phenomenal. We've been uh, housing the Cardinals until last night. Um, but then there are stretches and we're thinking, okay, you got one of the be- one of the best pitching staffs in baseball and we're not winning these ball games. So right. I think it would be very, very shocking to me if we were ever more than ten games above five hundred. I don't and I think that we'll contend for the division. I think that we're going to have to really pick it up if we right. want to challenge
0: the White Sox. Right. It, to me, you know, and I know we got a long way to go. I, I miss, and I miss watching baseball and this really sucks, but I don't have Bally sports here at the apartment. I don't know what the deal is, but, or what the deal to get it is, but I'll have to, you know, when I get a chance to, to get it, I'm definitely buying it. But I remember uh, 2013 when the Indians, what did they do? They won, I think it was 10 in a row to end the year. Right that year and they barely made it in but they made it in as a wild card team we might have to have that kind of a run to steal the division from the white Sox. it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting but they can do it when or, i think of, i'm sorry look go ahead i just was going to say it still just amazes me i think uh, i think i just saw something where terry franco and i forget how many games he's won total in his career I think it was like 1700 and he just recently passed 700 wins here with the indians <laughs> I mean, That's just a sensational stat. I think it was 700. I think I did see yep. 700. I'm yep. like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. You know? And I still remember, and to kind of flash back a little bit, and I didn't mind Manny Acta before we had Francona, but oh, he, he, Tony does, but I didn't mind Manny Acta uh, much. I mean, I wasn't like super excited with him. Um, but I remember when I was in college and I watched some of those Indians yeah. games, I enjoyed it okay. I mean, I was still kind of getting used to baseball, but then. Uh, when the offseason came, and unfortunately they fired Maniakta, or unfortunately for him, and uh, my friend Joe, who's a huge Indians fan, was like, dude, we're going to get Franco." Cohen. I was like, Joe, don't, don't pull my leg, man. I mean, there is no way nope. in hell – I was thinking at a the time there was no way in hell Tito's leaving Boston for us. Right. And, and lo and behold, I remember what was it what, – what in the hell was that fad called? Uh, in the spring train? oh, Harlem Shake. Remember that?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: They, uh, yeah, they did a spring training video. It was Harlem Shake, and you had all the Indians guys at <laughs> the time dressing up. And Tito, I forget what he dressed up as. I think he was a baby. <laughs> and, like, Nick Swisher dressed up as an Ohio State player. Man. I forget some of the other ones. But it just was a thing where Acta was a good guy, nice guy, seems like a decent man. Yeah, and a,
2: and a very excellent, in my opinion, studio analyst. At one point.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just didn't seem to be a good fit here. But as soon as uh, that spring training video came out in 2013, I'm like, I, and I even looked at you. I think I remember t- telling you, Tony, I was right. like, this is going to be fun. Right. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a good season. And the Indians won 92 games that year and made the playoffs for the first time since 2007. But it's just amazing how consistent they've been. I mean. No question. Yep. Has Tico had a losing season here yet?
2: I do not believe so. I one. I don't think he
0: has. I think his worst season he had here was like 82 wins. Right. So, yep. uh, but no, let's just hope he can capture a ring one of these times if he wants to stay stay on here. But. Right. It amazes me how much he's done with how little he's been given, which really kind of bums me out. Cause if you imagine if they had to the payroll of the Yankees or Red Sox. Well, um, but once again,
2: I mean, I always kind of jump in on these conversations, but it's like the amount of money that is completely wasted and or squandered depending on your view by right. the big market teams is truly sensational. Um, you look back at the, the major market teams the Yanks, the Red Sox, etc., and you think about all the players they whiffed on, and then right. they try to keep them to see if they don't whiff as much as they have been whiffing. I mean, it just—it's unbelievable. And here's Cleveland doing a lot more with less, and that's really fun to watch, right? And but also as a baseball person, because it's like, wow, you know, the yeah. Mets just spent an incredible amount of money on Francisco Lindor. Now that that's interesting because now. The Mets are leading the, the their division in the National League. But um, when it goes wrong, it's really fun to watch as a, as a mid- to small market fan. Really.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and I forget what year this was. It might have been the year the Indians made the World Series. But uh, I think it was back in either 2015, 2016, around that time, where I forget how much the Angels spent. Um, but it was something ridiculous in the offseason. And obviously, they still had—I think they still had Mike Trout at the time, right? Um, and he was still mashing like he always does. But right. the Indians were well on their way to winning the division and, and making the playoffs and going to the World Series that year. And I forget how many games the Angels lost. It had to be at least ninety losses. Right? It, it was rough. And I'm like, this is hilarious. You got Cleveland that has ha- or say <laughs> half the payroll, I think you had Cleveland who had like eighty million at the time, and the Angels had like a hundred some million wrapped up in that in those deals right we had less payroll than the angels did on those deals and we still kicked butt i'm like
1: how does that work (laughs) so
0: um but yeah but for the indians now like you said tony they're four back of the division uh they lost to the cardinals eight to two yesterday they're 32 and 27 overall uh so they're treading water they just gotta find a way to take off like they always seem to do when they have good years
2: well often they're a second half team um,
0: so we'll see if that holds true again right and now for the really fun part of the show, we got the Reiner Rundown.
1: Guys, resident
0: sports nut in there,
1: how you doing for this one, Michael? You ready? Fantastic, man. Guys, listen up. So the Reiner Rundown, kind of a segment where I talk about something that caught my eye, whether good or bad. And this one was a real rough one for my Pittsburgh Pirates. They're <laughs> playing the Dodgers on Tuesday night, and the Pirates' rookie key Brian Hayes comes off the bat, and he hit. A home run off of Walker bueller, but you know what? He walked around first base, <laughs> and, but he well, forgot about the base.
0: Wait, 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 stop me a second. You tell me he didn't touch the bag?
1: He did not secure the bag, Luke. It oh, did not happen. It did not happen. He did not <laughs> touch the base. Oh, What kind of trash is that? <laughs> That's just indicative of the pirate season and the way oh. things They've been for the Buccas the past three years, wow. and man, oh, man, it's a terrible, terrible addition of yeah. the Reiner rundown. And that's the bottom line because Iron Mike said so. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: right. That's right. And just to, to say one thing before we move on to the final segment of the show, Michael, that reminded me – and how many of you guys out there in the audience have seen Major League. That play reminded me of the one uh, play when they're in the middle of the losing streak when you got – I think all three outfielders going for the baseball and they all smack straight into each other. And don't even catch the ball. It, it's kind of like the same thing, except that was a fictional movie. And this actually happened.
1: <laughs> right. This actually happened in the flesh. Terrible. Right. Oh my
2: God. And all Tracking. of ESPN, of course, uh, you know,
0: <laughs> various
2: elements. So,
0: but, but no, Michael, at least for a good sport about it, man, that would, Oh man, you know, I've seen bad, I've seen enough bad Indians baseball that I, man, I feel your pain. <laughs> so <laughs> but, uh, to, to shift gears from the Run rundown to our final segment of the show, we got some Olympic and softball stuff. Tony, why don't you tell people yeah. what's going um, on? Here? So, welcome to the niche part of the show. Uh, <laughs> but the
2: Women's College World Series just concluded this afternoon, and the number one seed Oklahoma Sooners took care of their opponents in a best of three series. It did go all three games. Oh, Florida wow. State, um, they, both teams were actually in the loser's bracket after their first game of the World Series, but they fought through and then ended up in the championship. Um, fantastic uh, story from James Madison. Odyssey Alexander, their senior pitcher, um, pitched the entire World Series until the the last bit of their final game. And they were the first unseeded team to win their first two games of the college world series. It was truly spectacular. Wow! Diving lunge at the plate that, the, that Odyssey Alexander made to prevent a run. I mean, it was just one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. Um, so really a fantastic, uh, fantastic tournament for softball. Hopefully give the sports some more, um, traction in the American sports landscape. And we've got diving tri- um, diving Olympic trials happening um, the next few days. So we'll see who ends up on the Olympic team for that discipline. And then um, we've got Volleyball Nations League happening. The U.S. men have been stumbling around and the U.S. women have been lights out as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see what happens in the French Open as it winds down. We've got championship weekend this this coming weekend and we've got uh, Novak Djokovic against my boy, Raphael Nadal,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in one semi. So that would be very interesting to see. So there's your right. niche right. update from Tony. Uh, the yeah. Olympics are around the corner.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, just, I, mean, I was just gonna ask you, Tony, what, uh, what dates are the Olympics from this year? it is i believe july 23rd to august 8th right you know and you'll have to you'll have to um what's your uh don't you usually do like an olympic rundown on your twitter and have your yeah i will be on
2: facebook and twitter and maybe try some other ones too so um as we approach i will probably publicize those and hopefully we'll get some uh get some real good conversation going and um Hopefully I don't dominate too much as that comes comes uh, to pass, but maybe I'll have most of an episode or something that we can put during that time uh, in addition to what we're normally doing. But yeah, I'm, I'm wall-to-wall Olympics. so
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Tony, in the sports world, it's about dominating. You shouldn't worry about dominating. And people, listen up. This guy right here, Tony, he loves, loves, loves the Olympics. It is his thing. It is... He loves the Olympics almost as much as our buddy Luke here loves the crowd <laughs> I tell you, right, right.
0: <laughs> right. You know, well, and also to use a basketball analogy, not everyone can be in a, be a scorer, but we gotta we gotta assist Tony with that and give the ball to him so he can make one. Right.
2: Well, and I I actually did get um at least one birthday wish in 2020 that said, "Boy, I hope the coronavirus does not disrupt your Olympic commentary," and of course it did, but it's really nice to have my Facebook friends be looking forward to it and I can really, um, that people really enjoy. And I, I couldn't be happier. People are always asking me how many screens you got. And, (laughs) uh, it can be anywhere from two to four at one time. It's like command central. It's really something.
0: I just was going to say when I, whenever I watch secret agent movies or spy movies, there's always like, you know, surveillance cameras and like, Four to five screens up. That's what I imagine when you're watching the Olympics. Oh yeah,
2: and so. I think it was that 2008 in Beijing was the first instance where NBC actually streams every minute of every event, and right. of course that was like every holiday for me mm-hmm. all at once.
0: So. So. But but yeah, Tony, I know you're looking forward to that, and the audience out there, you guys can look forward to episode five. But for right now, I'm Luke Wickheiser with Tony Snyder and Michael Reiner. Signing off. Until next time, folks.
1: Have a good night, everybody.
0: Peace out, guys.